Yea, it is an angry and unforgiving economy. Cut spending to only the bare essentials. Water and bread and margaritas. Yay. Self-destruct, count it down. One step farther, you're getting now to perfect. But is it worth it? I think it's safe to say my guest today has interviewed more experts in market research and consumer insights than anyone ever. Bob Lederer publishes several newsletters on the market research industry, and today is probably best known as the host of the podcast and YouTube series, The Research Business Daily Report. He's also a lifelong sports fan, and he's the author of Beyond Broadway Joe, The Team That Changed the Super Bowl, which is a really interesting book. It's got great reviews on Amazon, and it's all about the classic 1967 Jets team that shocked the world and won the Super Bowl and was famous because of Joe Willie name is guarantee that they were going to win the Super Bowl. But Bob's book really focuses on all of the other players on that team and really how that team changed the Super Bowl and football itself. Really interesting. Educationally, Bob went to the State University of New York at Stony Brook. Now that's in Oyster Bay, New York. So originally they were known as the Baymen and then the Sound Men and then the Warriors and then they were the Patriots. And most recently they are the Sea Wolves led on the sidelines by Wolfie the Sea Wolf, who's described on the SUNY Stony Brook website as furry and fun loving. That's what she said. Bob Letterer, welcome to the show. Thank you. You know, you know more about Stony Brook than I did. I had forgotten that they had uh, been launched in Oyster Bay, New York, which of course is more famous because that's where Theodore Roosevelt's presidential library uh, is situated. We were the Patriots and I worked for the radio station there as sports director and I was the voice of the Patriots. In fact, my staff called me sports czar. Sports czar. That's a good title. I should try to work that into my LinkedIn profile somehow. I like it. Well, Bob, I'm really excited to have you on the show today. You know, you've got a big following and a lot of people have looked to your insights on consumer insights and market research, and we'll get into that. But first, anytime I have a guest on the show, I like to play a little, a little game to get to know them better. A little game I like to call the lightning round. The lightning round! I am so good at lightning rounds! I majored in lightning rounds. Bob, are you ready for the lightning round? I, I, I've been nervous about it all week, but I think I'm, I think I'm up to the task. I think you're going to crush it. Bob Letterer, what is your hometown? Uh, scenic sounding Flushing, New York. If you were not in the research and insights business, what would you be doing? I wanted to be a sportscaster. My dad told me my junior year of college, I have a face for radio. <laughs> uh, that was one of the reasons I decided to not go into sportscasting. Although I still love it. I, as a, uh, as a hobby, I used to uh, go to professional sports events in New York when I was growing up with my tape recorder. And I would uh, make believe I was doing the game live on the radio. In fact, I still have about 50 or 100 of those tapes. And once in a while, I'd pull them out and I hear how horrible my New York accent was in those days. <laughs> that is really cool. And you have your name on a brick outside of the Met Stadium. Is that right? Well, my yeah, my, my wife and my kids bought it for me 10 years ago, I guess it was, when City Field opened up um, in New York. And you'll also find me 
if you go to a website called uh, remember the American Basketball Association.com, the ABA as they used to call it, sure. The page that's for the New York Nets, you can hear play by play by yours truly, uh, just like 10, 15 second clips throughout that page. And, uh, some of my best stuff, if I say so myself. Oh, <laughs> I will check that out. I love the old ABA with the multicolored ball and Dr. J. Those were good times. They really were, yeah. What is your favorite website or app that many people haven't heard of? Pipple. P-I-P-L. Pipple is what allowed me to do the book that I did. Because, as you pointed out, I talked to all the Jets not named Namath. Mm-hmm. And I had to find them first. I never thought about that. I also never thought about how I was going to convince them to talk to me. But first, I had to find them. And I had an associate that worked for me. Um, I've always hired kids right out of school. And he told me about PIPL.com. I said, what the heck is that? He said, it's uh, short for people. I went, okay. He said, if you go to people.com and you put in a person's name, their full name, and more or less where they live or where they grew up, um, you can find just about anybody. It's great if you want to find old athletes, which I did, or maybe you want to find that old high school flame of yours and you have no idea whatever became of him or her. Well, as soon as we get off here today, I'm going to go look myself up and see how well I'm doing. People. <laughs> You'll be surprised. They, they know how to find you and they, they will listen. <laughs> I have long believed that privacy is dead. So perhaps this will be the final reassurance that I'm correct in that belief. It, it, is, it is the last drive into the coffin. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you for participating in the lightning round. The lightning round. Lightning round. Lightning round. Did I pass? Yes, you did. Oh, you passed yeah. with flying colors. You crushed it as I knew you would. <laughs> Well, let's let's talk about consumer behavior during coronavirus. I mean, obviously, we're, we're going on a year now in the corona economy, and there are a lot of obvious things going on. Economic anxiety is up. People are saving more. They're spending less. Zoom and e-commerce are up, and bars and restaurants are down. But you've been out there, really, for the past year, talking to all of the leading people in the market research and consumer insights industry, and picking their brain about consumer behavior and what's changing. So through your lens, what do you think are some of the most impactful or overlooked or interesting ways that consumer lives are changing? I have delved into the research world to ask the people who do research what they're doing to find out what consumers are doing. I've always been interested in how did you do the study and, and how did you do it differently mm -hmm. than you might have before. And last, the last 10 months since the coronavirus hit, um, has been a bonanza. So of all of the interviews you did, what are some of the ones that really stand out of uh, providers that are really doing interesting and innovative things in terms of trying to pick consumers' brains? The one that's really leaped to mind to me, and I've been asked this question a couple of times, um, are the people at Johnson & Johnson's Eye Care Division. They're down in Jacksonville, Florida. And the head of research there um, told me that he was not only in charge of insights slash research, he was also in charge of, uh, of digital and of, of, of the digital work they were doing. Um, and he told me that he had not been asked in, in quite some time for anything in the way of research. The, the C-suite at J&J &J Eye Care was basically just focused on 
the digital numbers that they could get every single day that took them and told them, here is where we are right now. And of course, research um, is supposed to give you an idea of what's coming, what's coming up tomorrow, next week, next month, and if they really can project well, well beyond that. But J&J wasn't asking about that. And all of a sudden, because of COVID, management realized, well, wait a minute, we're going to come out of this at some point, and we better be ready um, as a brand with our brands to take advantage of what's going to be out there. So what do we need to know about what's going to happen three months, six months, or whenever COVID is finally tamed? And so for the first time um, in this gentleman's a short career at J and J. He had been in some other companies before. They were asking him to bring the two together. Uh, mm. That that's quite an important thing, I think, for our whole industry because there isn't enough um, partnership going on between those two areas. In fact, in many companies, they're they're geographically separated. They can be in different buildings, which is really kind of crazy. So all of all the interviews you've done, what other ones sort of stand out in your mind as really interesting and innovative? Um, one of the early ones was there was a great deal of uncertainty in the research industry about whether it was a bother to approach consumers and ask them during COVID, how are you doing? or what are you doing and that sort of thing. There were actually a lot of researchers, I would say a majority of them who said, I don't think anybody wants to be bothered right now. Um, we had a couple of uh, researchers on the first couple of weeks and they said, uh, that's a bunch of nonsense. Consumers are ready and they are willing and they are happy to communicate with anybody in the research world right now. My experience is that if you look at market research and insights teams on the client side, is that they're famously risk averse. And it's kind of sort of reminds me of the old notion that, uh, you know, back in the old days of IT, nobody ever got fired for buying IBM products and services because they were kind of the standard and it was very, it was very safe, even if it wasn't the best or most innovative solution out there. And I kind of think of market research as a little bit that way that, you know, on, on the client side, on the brand side, there's, there's a lot of risk aversion and a reluctance to kind of go with smaller, newer firms. And I know that's that's been an interest of yours as well. And you're kind of looking at new ways to help brands be more comfortable in working with some of the more innovative firms out there. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's, it's actually uh, something that's come up quite a bit. When somebody asks me, what's the biggest change you've seen in the industry in the last 25 years? Well, there still is a risk of averness. Um, but 25 years ago, Steve, if you and I had developed internet research, and we had taken it to the research marketplace, meaning to clients, say, look, this could revolutionize your research. From what I understand, you could have got an audience with P&G, Coca-Cola, General Mills, uh, maybe General Foods, and that's it. Nobody else would have touched it with a 10-foot pole. Oh, and by the way, the four companies I mentioned... They would do a study with you to see how it worked, but you would pay the bill and there would be a, uh, 
a clause in the contract that said, well, you can't tell anybody that you did this with us. Today, tomorrow, when you and I develop the next great research tool, and it doesn't have to be the most innovative in the world, but just something that's markedly better than what's already out there, there will be a half a dozen companies next week that will put their hands up and say, I'll try it. I'll try it. Sure. Really interesting. I remember when uh, online panels first started. It used to be that market research was done by phone, by mail. And when the first online panel started, the reaction of many in the industry, especially on the client side, was, well, that's not representative. And certainly that, that was true. But I think over time, there came to be the understanding of, Okay, it may not be truly representative in the way that, you know, random digit dial telephone surveys were back at the time, but for the vast majority of market research consumer behavior kinds of questions, the ways in which online panels weren't representative weren't a huge threat to the conclusions that you would draw from the study. And over time, I think that everyone realized, hey, we could uh, save save 50% of our costs or more by doing things online. So there was some risk aversion to start, but the tremendous cost, saving, cost savings got people over that. Well, I'll tell you what happened. Between 96 and 2000, which is when online uh, research finally showed itself, emerged, and began to get larger and larger and larger. The first argument was the one you just presented. It's not representative. And then... It's not statistically significant. Um, not enough African Americans, not enough Hispanics, not enough, uh, you know, you name the group. And it was right. It was absolutely true. That quickly became um, a non-issue, quickly becoming several years. Um, because something really important happened that very few people talk about. CEOs of companies began reading in Fortune, Forbes, the Wall Street Journal, and other business press about other companies that were using online research to do their work. And the, uh, the claim in those days was it's faster, it's cheaper, and it's better. Not necessarily all true, but nice work, nice verbiage. And I know for a fact that many CEOs called down to the research department and said, are we doing this? Are we using this? And they were told, no. <laughs> Why aren't we doing this? And of course, when the boss says jump, you say, how high? And that is really why client research departments started to actually do online research. They were driven to it by, you know, uh, the, the big boss who said, get on it. What can be done in the industry to get over some of that risk aversion and to help uh, client side researchers become more comfortable with some of the more innovative and avant-garde techniques that are out there? Uh, I think it's what we're experiencing right now, which is a desperate need by companies to understand what's going on what's going to happen tomorrow and what's going to happen um, when COVID is tamed. And we're seeing it right now. There was a great story that we uh, referred earlier this week on Research Business Department Report based on a story in the Wall Street Journal from the end of December. 
And it talked about all the plans that so many big consumer packaged goods companies have made in order to um, better service their marketplace in 2021. And what was never said in the story, but is clear, is that research had basically convinced these companies, in one case, to build a new factory, in another case, to build a new production line, in another case, to focus their activity more on office supply as opposed to consumer supplies, and a preponderance uh, of uh, the work that was that's being done this year, re, uh, you know, by, by a lot of these CPG companies, is to do the opposite of that, and that is to really continue to service the heck out of home, because there is a growing belief, and this has to be based on research they've done, that there's still going to be a lot of people, either part time, if not full time, who are going to be continuing to work, you know, out of the comfort and the safety of their homes. And I haven't really talked to too many people, Steve, that tell me that they're going to bring everybody back into the office as fast as they can. I don't yep. think that that's the plan at all. So I know you work to, uh, you know, kind of provide what you might think of as a, a vendor gatekeeper service. I think companies are looking for someone who can help curate all of the new innovative processes and market research techniques that are out there. You talk a little bit about how you do that curation and, and help companies get comfortable with some of the more innovative techniques. We published a, a research department report for well over 20 years, and it did profiles of well-run research departments. And one of the standard questions I asked in every single interview, and they were like, I counted them up, there were over 350 of them, was, do you have a formal process in place to be aware and to consider and to evaluate um, new research tools and techniques out there? And 75 to 80% of the time, the answer was, no, we don't have any process in place. So as I've been looking to uh, extend our reach and to use the 5,000 LinkedIn contacts I have and other people that I know in the industry, um, what's been recommended to me and I'm pursuing is this new service. And the idea is as follows. I'm going to client insights departments around the industry and saying, hey, if you allow me to become an extension of your department, I can help you relieve some of the pain points that you have in finding, considering, evaluating, and recommending potential new research vendors, meaning agencies, or even little boutiques that do something novel. I can imagine the reception would be very positive because, like you said, I mean, there's there's so much innovation going on out there, but it's hard to tell what's really got some substance to it and what's just a, a flash in the pan. So someone with, with your experience, you can kind of curate the offerings that are out there. I can imagine. I love that word. I had some other people say that to me, and I keep looking it up in the dictionary and then forgetting what curate actually means. But <laughs> yes, that, is, that is the idea. That's, that's the word every publisher uses when they were trying to explain why their content isn't free. It's because they're curating it. Well, like I said, you've been really generous with your time. I've got one final question for you that I ask for all of my guests. What one piece of advice, personal or professional, do you have for people who want to survive and thrive at this time? I'll tell you what, and, and that is be generous with your time with other mm -hmm. people who can use your help. Um, obviously, there are people with frailties and such, neighbors and such that need you know, your assistance. 
But I've just gone through something myself with my business, where my business basically got very badly hurt by the coronavirus last year. And that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm branching out and doing some other things. And I have to tell you that talking to the 70 or 80 people that I did in my LinkedIn group, um, they were so generous and so thoughtful. And many of them had so many great ideas that helped me and get, first of all, propped me up and saying, hey, you know, things are, don't have to be as bad as I think they might be. Um, but they really made me feel like, hey, we're here to help you. And in many cases, they've given me ideas that were just fantastic. And that is great advice. And you are clearly uh, walking the talk because you've been super generous with your time today and your insights. Bob Letterer from Research Business Daily, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Steve, I can't thank you enough for inviting me because, first of all, you've asked me a lot of interesting questions that I don't normally get asked. And secondly, it's just always a pleasure to talk to somebody who is, you know, uh, so attuned to what's going on, big picture, and likes to dig into the micro of, of things, which is what I think we've done today. Sounds great. Thanks again, Bob. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Have a great weekend. You too. That's it for this week. Please like, subscribe, and share. The best place to find me is on LinkedIn. You can also find me on MySpace, OnlyFans. Send me a fax, or better yet, page me. When I get your page, I'll go out, I'll find a payphone, I'll call you back. To take us out, it's the full version of our theme song, Tourist, by Tess Stevens, the world's most rockin' content strategist. Until next time, my friends, stay safe and stay safe. Self-destruct, count it down. One step farther, you're getting now to perfect. But is it worth it? Yeah.